Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. Let's pray first and let's ask God to touch us and anoint everything that's done or said and have his way today. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Thank you this day, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that we are able to gather in, Lord God, in your house, in one accord, hallelujah, in your name. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that your will would be accomplished, Lord God, in each and every life, Lord God, that you would touch us and strengthen us, Lord God, that you would guide our footsteps, our thoughts, our energy, Lord God, would be placed in your hand, Lord God, that you could shape and mold us, Lord God, and direct us. Touch us this day, God. Strengthen us each and every one, Lord God, that we may be the called according to your purpose. And I thank you for what you're going to do this day in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. For a title today, I'll just use um, the word, the cost. And that is something as Americans we all can relate to. For there is a cost to everything. No matter what you do, there is a cost. And I think I've mentioned this, well, quite a few years ago now, but it was probably, I would say in the late 80s, you know, right around 89 or 90, that... um. I was taught a lesson and of being not too quick to judge, but me and Sister Rayleigh had went and seen there was a man, uh, a singer, uh, his name was Rich Mullins, and we had went to Gainesville to see him, and we're sitting in the, um, best I can remember, he was at a church, and we're sitting back, and... All of a sudden, here comes this guy walking down the aisleway. It's you know, it's getting close for the scheduled time for it to start. And I reach over to Sister Rayleigh. I said, "You know, if I'm not mistaken, that looks like the guy, but he's in ratty jeans, you know, and a t-shirt. And he wasn't really dressed." And like, my Lord, I said, that, if, that's, "If that's not him, he's got a twin that looks just like him." So he goes up on the stage, and I said, my Lord, that's him. And right off the bat, I was almost ticked off, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, here is this man. Um, and my first opinion, which since then has taught me a little bit more patience when it comes to this, is I thought, you know, he's representing the gospel. And here it is, he has got the nerve to get up and sing about the Lord dressed this way. And but now I know a whole lot more about the man than I know then. And but what I've come to know about the man, 
the only person I could liken him to in the Bible is if you ever read in Ecclesiastes, which once in a while I like to, is just, if I could say it, Solomon just seems so moody <laughs> when he wrote Ecclesiastes, but that's what I would liken this man to because a lot of his songs, when he wrote them, this guy, uh, Rich Mullins, that he just said that uh, a lot of his songs was his prayers, that he would just sing out to the Lord, and that was his prayer. Um, but what I'd come to learn, that he took a vow of poverty, and he's not one that just said it lightly. He meant it. And he was very successful in his music career. And he only took just enough money to literally live on. And the rest he gave to Christian charities. And he literally told his manager, I do not even want to know how much money I make. Give it away. And what I done, I judged a man without knowing the facts. Other words, and you can... If you ever listen to some of his songs, you can read or you can listen to the struggle that the man has and the over, just trying to overcome his self. He's just dealing with self and trying to overcome self. But when he takes and he's just doing this, and oddly enough, on September the 19th, 1997, he was on a way back to Wichita, Kansas, where he's from, and to do a benefit concert. And he was killed um, in an automobile accident on Interstate 39 in a very tragic automobile accident. And, but he was only 41. And Amy Grant took one of his songs, the ones that if you've ever listened to her, she made popular a song, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. Rich Mullins wrote that. And the song that we sing, Awesome God, Rich Mullins wrote that, and he sung a lot more. Hold Me, Jesus, My One Thing, the one that I really like, While the Nations Rage, he wrote that. And what I'm saying is this. Everybody has a cross to bear, and everybody's cross is different. And he just took his cross, and he dealt with a little different. And what I'd done, which was wrong, I judged him. And I judged him wrongly. And what the vow that he took, he took very serious. And he literally did. He gave his money away. And now, to the point of whether he should have been dressed like that, representing the gospel, that's not for me to answer. But what I do know is that he took his vow very serious. And the Bible says that we do have a cross to bear. And, but... There is a cost and there is a price to be paid. And I remember when I was a, a small boy in High Springs, my mother, if I'm, it seemed like the best I can remember, my mother took me uptown to the doctor and there was a local doctor there in High Springs and she sent me in to get a prescription. And I was little. And uh, I went into the doctor and, and he wrote out the prescription. And this I can't remember how it came about, but for some reason I, I asked the doctor, is there a, uh, uh, does this cost anything? And I still remember, still remember it to this day. He said, young man, nothing is free. 
And I thought so many times I wish I just had, uh, of course, small, you know. I said, well, at least in this office, nothing is free. But I still remember that. I still remember that. Young man, nothing is free. And the point being made is that everything cost, everything cost. And in life, and it's true if you, which if you see any um, TV or watch any television on ministers that has just thousands and thousands of uh, people and where people preach, you know, you're, you're right on the verge uh, of getting your uh, deliverance or your blessing and it's just week after week after week. This is my opinion. You don't have to join with me in this. But I believe they're doing them people a very great injustice. You can't just keep people bringing them to church and telling them, just like a, almost the, the carrot in front of the horse, telling them, God is fixing to bless you. You know, I've just come out of my multi-million dollar mansion to tell you, you know, God is fixing to bless you. It's on the verge. It's fixing to happen. You know, there's a balance in everything. You know, God is the one, and I'm going to read it. There, you know, but you can't flip that over and tell people the harder you live this, the holier you are. There's got to be a balance in this. And, but we do know, and we are taught from a child, if our parents care anything about us, the value of money, the value of a price, that you do receive nothing for free. Everything costs. And it's amazing to me when someone comes to church and then they come in with that mentality is that everything is free. God ought to give me everything and I ought to have to do nothing. Well, that's what the church world says. Jesus paid the price. God covered it all under grace and you have to do nothing. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches us to take up our cross daily, daily. Now, I don't know what you read about a cross, but a cross was not something that you wanted to lug around every day. But the Bible says that we have a cross to carry every day. That is not taught from our pulpits. But we have, according to this book, Jesus himself said, you have a cross and it is your obligation to pick this cross up every day and tote it. Now, turn with me to Matthew 10, and we'll just read 34. In fact, in this reading, and in in when I get to 38, this is the very first time a cross is mentioned in Scripture. And Jesus is not talking about his cross. He's talking about our cross. But in verse 34, in Matthew 10, 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be that of his own household. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And 38, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life 
for my sake shall find it. Now, some would say, this is from the Prince of Peace. It is. But he is saying, think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. Now, if there's ever a true statement, that is it. And here again, I go back to balance. You must realize that when it comes, it's not that just how much do you love the Lord? Well, I love the Lord when it's convenient and everything is fine. God said, no, you must settle this in your heart right now. You cannot love me in the good times and separate yourself from me in the bad times. God said, if you love me more than your own parents, then you're literally not even worthy of me. And worthy means weight. It's, he says, the weight that I have, the love that I have for you, is not compared to the same of the love that you have for me. God said it's not comparable. So what he is saying here, not that he come, he said, I've come to set it variance. In other words, I've come to separate. When it comes to our love for Jesus, God said, there is no two ways about it. There's only one truth, and God said, you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, or strength, and there is no separating that. And a lot of people is going to read this and just say, God is being cruel here. No, he's not. Now, it's the point. It's truly the wickedness of man and not the message of the gospel that produces this. Now, if you have an individual that loves God truly with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you have another individual of that same family that wants to oppose him, which one is right? God said the one that would love me with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength is correct. The one that opposes me, it's out of the wickedness in his heart that opposes me. That's where the line is being drawn. Not where God is saying, I'm just purposely separating you to make a fight. The fight is being made at, at the separation. God said, you must literally love me and separate yourself from the one that would be against me. And we, we sometimes we just don't want to be troublemakers. We just want to be, where, as the saying goes, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to try, if it's our family, you know, who more do we love more than our family? And if our family is truly against us, speaking of this religion, then we try to be 100% in this religion and try not to upset our family. I'm not saying throw rocks at your family. I'm saying you must settle this. You have got to settle this within yourself. Who is going to be the most important? And... There again, you can't let this, and you must not take this and just flip out on it, saying, well, God told me to hate my family. That's not the point. The point is made. It said, God said, when you would sell out your vessel to me and love me more than anything more on planet Earth, then God said that I have a way to take in those that, that oppose you. Let me work on them. Because God can do more with them than me trying to do it the rest of my life. God said, let me work with them, not you. And he said, first thing you've got to do is take up your cross and follow me. 
Now, a lot of people says the, um, takes the cross as meaning the trials and the tribulations of life. But the cross only represented one thing, and that was death. It represented death. Now, trials and tribulation does not kill us. We only have one thing mentioned in Scripture that will kill us, and that's the person we live with. In fact, Paul said, I die daily. I got to kill this flesh daily. And God said, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't overcome this man that you live with and conquer it every day, every day, then you must conquer yourself. You must get a handle on yourself because it's the, the saying has been said by, by ministers for years, you just let self go for a while and look in the mirror and you won't recognize yourself because we think, that's not me, we think that we can just go on and just do it and just be okay, but we can't. We have got to be to the point that we overcome self every day. And we must do it. We have to do it. Now, the cause of this hostility that the Lord is speaking of here, it's just not the Lord. It is in, bound up in the wickedness of man. It is in man's heart. Now, literally, when he said that you must take up your cross, now listen to me, this was no Jewish proverb. The Jews did not crucify people on a cross. The Romans did that, not the Jews. But the Jews was around Romans that did it. So they knew what he meant when he said, take up your cross. Because what the Romans would do, just out of sheer torture and pleasure, is they would make the criminals carry their cross to the place of crucifixion as part of their punishment. So they would literally have to be as a form of embarrassment or just just added on pain to carry their cross to. Now, to the place that they would be crucified. So the Lord said, carry your cross. This is not something that's going to be pleasurable. You know, it's not something that we're going to be skipping our heels about telling, yeah, I'm carrying my cross, I'm having a good time. That's not what the Bible means. That's why he says you must do this every day. And if you do it every day, then you will keep this body under control. Because in doing it, in keeping this body under control, then and only then, because Paul said that this natural body receiveth what? Nothing of the things of God. It is the spiritual man. So the more that I can overcome this natural man, naturally the more that I can receive of the spiritual side of God. That's why he said, take up this cross, crucify this flesh, overcome this man, because God's going to talk to me what? It's not God's going to come down to you and just like you're talking on the telephone to somebody and just say, you know how you're doing, in an audible voice. He's going to speak to you on spiritual terms. And most of the time when he speaks to us, it is a thought impressed upon our heart, upon our spirit. It's not like he's talking to you like I'm speaking to you right now. It's not in natural terms. It's in a spiritual condition. Most of the time, you're either praying, you're speaking in tongues, or you're reading and meditating on this word, and then God is able to plant something in your heart. 
It's not. It's not when you're just out plowing the field or you're on your job working. But don't discount that. Because God has done that literally to me. And I know he's done it to you. But God can, can do that. But I'm saying most of the time, we are alone. As the Bible says, we've shut ourselves off. We've returned to our closet. And then we are meditating on God. We're trying to overcome this natural man to receive what the Spirit would have to say. Because the Spirit is speaking. Now... One man has said that every cross has its inscription, and I believe that. Every person has a cross. Every person's is different. That's why I mentioned rich. I mean, uh, uh, it's almost like, uh, almost like a play on words. He took a vow of poverty, and, and he called himself rich. Rich Mullins. But, um, but this crucifixion was of a Roman they took. They tried to just put all the torture they could, and they crucified a lot of people. Even at the time of Christ, there's hundreds and hundreds that they crucified. But the Lord said to his people, the first time it's mentioned, it's your cross. You have a cross. You've got to carry your cross. Now, turn with me. Let's go to... um, Turn with me to Luke, the ninth chapter. Let's just skip over to Luke. Luke 9. Okay, Luke 9 and 57. And we'll read similar again. 9 and 57. And it came to pass as they went in their way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds have, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not, hath not where to lay his head. Now, we know from Matthew that this man was a scribe and he just pops up and says Lord wherever you're going I'll go with you so he's telling the Lord right from the very beginning wherever you go just exuberant he just blurts out to the Lord you know he sees the Lord touching and healing and he just tells him wherever you're going I'm going I'm going to do it and Jesus tells him foxes have hole the birds of the air have nests but the son of man hath not where have not where to lay his head. In other words, God was real with him. And think about it. Here is a God that created heavens and the earth, and he tells him, you have a home to go to. I don't even have a home to go to. And you're wanting to follow me? You might want to rethink this, because I don't even have a place to go to. That is why I said that uh, a lot of people needs to be taught the whole gospel. The whole gospel. Because uh, what do you think, you know, uh, of what if preachers got up and just told their congregation, you know, this is what Jesus told a man that was wanting to follow him. 
and they just come out of one of their million dollar mansions. I don't even have nowhere to go, Jesus said. I don't have a home. Now, I'm not, I don't want to be left, leave you with a, the thinking that I'm against that. I'm not. But all I'm saying, this is what Jesus told. He was not hiding nothing. He just said, you have a place to go to. I do not. So I'm just letting it all be known right now. You want to follow me, you can. But when it comes dark, I don't know what we'll do. Then he says, then said he to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom. And then he said, go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, here is another. said, I want to go. But let me first go and bury my father. And but this is not, from everything I could read of this and what I understand of this, his father had not died. What he was saying is, let me go home and wait till my father dies then I'll go with you. And that's why Jesus said, let those that are spiritually dead bury their dead. You want to follow me? Quit letting something about your family override what I'm telling you. If you want to follow me, then follow me. You're letting something in your future hold you. And God said, don't do it. You got to let that go. You're just letting a hypothetical, you're assuming your father's going to die sometime and you're just letting that hold you. You say with your lips one thing, but your heart tells me something else. And God says, no, no, you can't do that. You cannot be between these two opinions. There is a cost and you're not willing to pay the price. And then he said, and there is another, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me go and bid them farewell, which are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No man having put him his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard a lot of people cut up from this verse. No man having putting his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God. This Literally, it's an agricultural saying, and we know that. We're in farm country. We know what it means. He did not say hands. He said hand to the plow. So if you have a plow and you got one hand on it and turned looking back, you're just like Lot's wife. Your feet is going one direction, but your heart is looking at another direction. And God said, that cannot be used in my kingdom. He said, first, you can't do that. He says, you're not fit. Other words, you're not fit for neither one. You're not fit for your family, and you're not fit for the kingdom. You must pay the price, and right now, you're not willing to pay neither one. You say you've got your hand to the plow, but all you are doing is plowing a crooked path. And God said, neither one of them is any good. So you must be willing to pay the cost. So that's why he's telling them, is saying this man is not fit for the kingdom of God. And he's using this as an analogy because you need two hands and look to plow a straight path. And that's what God's wanted. 
to, for me to use you in my kingdom, you have to be designated, have your mind on, have your hands on, have your eyes looking to what you are doing. There is a cost there to be paid. And then he said, this is what Luke said, and he said unto them all, this is Jesus quoting, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this is something that we have to do every, every day. Now, in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 9.24, and let's read there. This is Paul in his writings. He said, know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth now for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it, now listen, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. So therefore, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest by any means... When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, he's saying, they do it. Now, literally, he's talking about the games that was being held. He's making a reference to the games. He said, they're doing, they're putting all their effort. In other words, we would look at it like the Olympics. They do it, they put everything in it. They do it that they might obtain a corruptible crown. In other words, the crown that they have is just going to fade away. But Paul said, we do it for an incorruptible crown. We do it for what's going to be given to us in heaven. It's not about what we will receive here on earth. It's what God is going to give us. He said, so therefore I run not as uncertainty, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. He says, not as uncertainty. That uncertainty is only used one time in the Bible. Not as uncertainty. In other words, I'm just not doing this as somebody uncertain about what I am doing. I have a goal. I have a purpose. I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it. He said, so fight I. Literally, that fight I means just what it says. I fight. There is a fight. And if what needs to be told, I think a lot more, is pastors need to get up, or not pastors, I'll leave them out of this. People need to be told, you are in a fight for your life. And if you don't believe that, then probably you're losing. Because Paul said, so fight I. And that literally means, he said, not as one that beateth the air. He said, I'm not just swinging and missing. I looked this up. I tried my best. Because uh, uh, literally, he is speaking of fighting. He's making an analogy. And when a fighter swings and hits an opponent, and when a fighter swings and misses, he exerts twice the energy. So Paul said, I'm just not swinging and missing. In other words, the swings that I am taking in the enemy that I'm fighting, every lick is being passed. 
every lick is counting. I'm not just swinging and beating the air, so to speak. Paul said, I know what I'm doing because I have this word, I have the blood of the lamb, I have the God of all gods, and he has given me what I need. He said, I'm doing it. I keep my body under and bringing him to subjection. Less of all that I, after I preached and did all of this, I myself would be a castaway. So here is Paul with all the revelation that he has telling us, and this is why it's, we should be so um, cautious about the words that Paul wrote. Uh, some people saying you never can be lost. Then why was Paul so worried about what he put down here? I myself with the revelation that I have, that after I've preached to so many and had the revelation so many, that I myself would be a castaway. That I myself, if I give up and let this body rule, that I myself would be a castaway. I would be lost in the end. Paul said, I can't do that. I can't let this body gain victory over me. I got to die daily and keep it under control. And this is, I don't want to make this harder than it is, but this is a cross to bear, literally. It is a fight. It is one that God said we can be victorious in. He's never put nothing in front of us that we cannot bear, that he has made us victorious. Now, in Hebrews 11 and 1, said, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, where it says faith is a substance, in the Greek that means to place under. Faith is the substance, what is placed under. Other words, we're not just standing on empty ground. Faith, now faith. Now, right now. When you get in a spot where you need something right now, faith is the substance. What you're standing on is the blood of the lamb. It's the word of God. It is the substance. It is the evidence. Evidence is proof. It is the proof of things not seen. Why do I believe what I believe? Because I have seen so much proof. I have seen so much evidence of things. I have seen it. I have witnessed it with my eyes. I'm not just taking somebody's word, even though their word is credible. I am taking what I've seen with these two eyes right here. I've seen what God has done in my own life. That's why I know that I have the evidence and the proof because it's now faith. I'm not going on nobody else. I'm not going on what I've just been told of just what... Um, and there again, don't get me wrong, of just what's been preached on me, but, but God bless them. But here again, this is not just for something that you have to hear, and well, I believe it because I was told. No, this is something you can take in your heart, and you can believe for yourself, because God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, and he, he will reward. Now, when God went to the cross, take up your cross, when he went to the cross, the last thing, the last thing when he said, it is finished. That word right there, it is finished. And when he gave up the ghost, it means so much. Literally, I have said and I mean it. When, when he gave up the ghost and he said it's finished, and the veil was rent from top to bottom. Then man, I don't know what it was like to be the first ones to walk by the temple 
and to be able to look in the Holy of Holies that man had never, ever been able to do. Never. Of the victory that it brought. So now, to us, what it means to take up your cross, to get victory over that. Literally, when it says, I think, take up your cross, when we literally, day by day, gain the victory that we need, then it brings so much blessing to us. It opens us up literally to the wholeness of God, to the holiness of God, to things in the spiritual realm that we would not be able to receive at no other time because the natural man is in the way. Because God said, if you want, if, if he that uh, tries to gain his life is going to lose it. But if we would lose our life, we would find it. Now, that's a paradox to some people, but God is saying, if you try to catch this natural life, you are the loser. You're the loser. But God said, if you would lose this natural man and gain this spiritual man for my sake, then you would win the rest of your life and in the life to come, you would be the winner. So then, when God laid on the cross and said, it is finished, and then the blessings and then the presence of God that was opened up to humanity. So when we take our cross and the enemy thought that he had done the, one of the greatest things of all to the Lord by having him crucified, what he didn't know is that he had just went the wrong way. He had opened up the blessings of God to humanity like it had never been done before. So then what seems so hard and gruesome to us is bearing our cross of this flesh and that we get so whipped out and just put down with before. If we can ever go through it and endure it and just look in the mirror and just say, I'm just so tired and whipped out with this flesh. Go ahead and endure it. Overcome it. Because the blessings that will come from that will be more spiritual than what you can imagine. Because God's presence, His holiness, will be unleashed when no other, like no other time before. Because we have Bible when God said, It is finished. And then, literally, literally, the Spirit of God, God just opened it up said, no longer man will be separated from me. No longer. No longer am I going to separate. That which would kill you, literally kill you in the past. God said, now I will welcome you. I will welcome you into my presence. That which lest you die in the past. God said, if you let him come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you peace. Yes, there is a price, but that price is more than what we can imagine, more than what we can imagine. It is, it is more. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. We understand that there is a price and there is a cost to everything. But this I do know, is that God will never leave us or forsake us. And that he'll give us more than what we can imagine. And sometimes when we sell ourselves short, who knows how close we got when we should have just pressed on a little bit more. 
that God, God, I tell you right now, God ain't never left. He's right where he's always been. He's right where he's always been. Because he ain't going to leave. Hallelujah. Praise God. The cost is worth it. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.